This is Be Heard right here on WHCR 90.3 FM, the voice of Harlem. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Be Heard Talk, an award-winning talk show that adds a taste of trap music, a side of Shakur, and spice to unflavored news. Each Sunday, we discuss race, politics, and culture from an unapologetic Black millennial perspective, and we give you the opportunity to be heard. So leave your comments on Facebook, Twitter, YouTube, and LinkedIn, and we will read them throughout this show. And as some of you know, for the 2020 election season, we partner with Black Enterprise as our official media sponsor. My name is Selena Hill, and I'm the digital editor at Black Enterprise and the founder of Be Heard Talk. And I'm super excited to be here with you all today to talk about the latest news stories during our news roundup followed by a conversation about our effort to push Joe Biden to the left. Now we showed up to the polls, we voted in a new administration, but what do we want in exchange and how can we ensure that we get it? Joining us on the show, we have a very special featured guest, Angelo Pinto, who is a movement lawyer, policy guru, and co-founder of Until Freedom. He will be joining us shortly. And then later on in the show, we will introduce another very special guest by the name of Carl Clay. So let me start things off by introducing my two of my favorite people, my co-hosts, starting with Stanley Fritz. Hey, what's hey Stanley. Happy Sunday. Happy Sunday. Thanks for having me. <laughs> Is that all you're giving us? Well, I'm trying to jump in here, Selena. Listen, first off, I got to say hello to you and thank you because the baby hair is looking immaculate, by the way. Second of all, I got to talk to the beautiful people out there on all the socials. What's going on, folks? This is Stanley Fritz, your favorite former engineer on the former PC ones and twos. Now I just try to look well lit and sassy on the StreamYard threes and fours. But you can follow me on Twitter at Stan Fritz. You can follow me on IG at Stan Fritz. You can follow me at Medium at Stan Fritz. And in case you're wondering, at Medium, I have now gotten a reputation as the man who makes the white folks ball their fists up in rage because they're tired of being told the truth about themselves. Come see me, beloveds. All right, now, we also have with us Tammy <laughs> David. How's it going, Tammy? Hey, Selena, happy Sunday, everyone. You know, normally I would focus on how moisturized Stanley looks today, but Selena, I gotta give it to you and those edges. Oh my God, we gotta get those edges sponsored so that we can continue to grow our audience. I have those perfect edges, perfect, I got a brown girl blushing right now. Appreciate yes. you guys. Brown so me- girl. <laughs> <laughs> Hello, everyone. So I'm Tammy David. I'm your problematic fave here on Be Heard Talk. Every Sunday, I like to talk my ish. And today I want to just say it is really effed up that the media and white people have appropriated the Million Man March title to Million MAGA March. I feel like MLK is rolling in his grave, knowing that y'all are out here soiling his good word for, for what? For a bunch of racists with skid marks in their underwear. Well, anyway, let me just wait until the news roundup to come at y'all with all of that. So Selena, please introduce our guests so we can get to the full roast that I'm about to give y'all. Yes, Tammy has the heat. Y'all already see the teaser. She has the heat coming for y'all. And speaking of heat, we also have Angelo Pinto. He's definitely bringing the heat. What's up, bro? Thank y'all for having me. I mean, I'm loving... The, I'm loving the baby hairs, but I'm loving everything else that was happening to the roast, the spice. Y'all, y'all on one today. I'm with it. <laughs> yeah, we know you with it. We know you with it. So let me throw it back to Tammy to kick things off with the news roundup. I'm so glad you with it, Angelo, because we are ready for the part of the show where you bring crazy updates, crazy opinions on these dire times that we're living in today. So sometimes our stories make you laugh, sometimes they make you cry, but this week they'll mostly make you wish that 2020 would please just be over and done with. This week we're talking about 45's latest statement, his dangerous pack of animal followers, and we're giving you an update on COVID-19. For more information on any of these stories and to suggest what we should talk about next week, follow and DM us at Be Heard Talk. So first, 
did we actually get what we've been waiting for? Because since November 7th, we've all been waiting for Trump to just concede the race to Biden. Now, conceding means yielding the race to the winner, admitting a loss, and participating in a peaceful transition process. But today, Trump tweeted, he only won in the eyes of the fake news media. I concede nothing. We have a long way to go. This was a rigged election. Now, 45 is even including his personal greasy lawyer into looking into election results as more states shut down his attempts to question legally sound ballot results. Now, technically, Trump doesn't have to concede. He's still a loser, and he still will be a loser on January 20th at the new inauguration. So why does conceding actually matter? Historically, it has more to do with unifying the country under their next leader than it has to do with an actual candidate. And in typical fashion, Trump is breaking a tradition that dates back 124 years. No matter how messy an election gets, as we saw in 2000, it is extremely important for Americans to be able to move forward with a serious answer and path forward. So what Trump's refusal to concede is doing is sowing divides, not just among the public, but among elected officials who continue to have to work together. And beyond unification, concession has one more important consequence. Starting a peaceful transition allows Biden early access, so to speak, of important briefings and news so that he is able to smoothly assume power and continue with the variety of things the president deals with. But Trump's refusal to admit a fair and square loss, it's very possible that Biden's beginnings will be rocky at best, with half of his new constituency questioning even the legitimacy of his win. So, Angela, I'm going to start with you. If it's namely tradition, why do you think Americans are so hungry for a concession, especially considering that half of them voted for him? I mean, I think, you know, I always say this to folks is that a lot of folks, I think particularly black folks, often we believe in these notions of fairness and we believe that folks are actually going to do the right thing. So I think what folks are hoping is that Donald Trump does the right thing when, in fact, he has a long track record. And quite honest, this country has a long track record of not doing the right thing. But I think we're in the perfect moment for the wrong thing to happen, because I think people have to see the levels that some will go to to maintain power, because while concession isn't everything, it can create a dangerous or challenging transition of power. And I think that's what Donald Trump is trying to do. He had thousands of MAGA folks out there yesterday in Washington, D.C., causing havoc and wreaking trouble. And I think that's what he wants to have happen around the country. And I think that is going to be the real challenge for the Biden administration. How do you confront white supremacists across the country? Because right now we're not doing a good job at it. Interesting transition. And actually, that is a huge point with the concession is that Biden is going to have to contend with these people. Stanley, what do you think Biden's first few months are going to look like, considering that, you know, 50 percent of people who voted for Trump are standing behind him and refusing to admit defeat? So it's going to be an uphill battle. I think that the Biden administration is smart. You know, they will try to make some like, you know, aesthetic inroads with these people. But they're going to focus on, they should focus on governing and they should focus on getting things done. So he should pass a couple of executive orders right away to stop the caging of children, to cancel student loan debt for everyone and all their debt, not just $50,000. He should also um, really use the House Democrats and push the Senate to pass a stimulus check because even though it looks like that Republicans may have a small majority, they don't have a Trump to give them cover anymore. So it, it should be harder for them to not do anything at all. And he should appoint his people. And if Republicans don't want to vote on it, then do the same thing Trump did. You need to just get to work. These folks are not going to change their mind. Donald Trump, before he tweeted that tweet, Tammy, he tweeted the other guy won. And then he deleted that tweet. Like, who cares about what Trump wants? And those, those, those 72 million people who voted for Trump, yeah, we do have to deal with them. But I'm not about to stop fighting for progress because a couple of disgruntled white folks and six and a half black people decided that Trump was the right person. Honestly, the six and a half sends me. I so I know that you know it, it's not a popular take, but Selena, does this have future ramifications? Because Trump broke a tradition that 
is a century and a quarter old. And there have been contentious elections in the past, like you've brought up in 2000. Do you think this sets a precedent for future sore losers to do the same? Do you think it makes future elections more contentious at all? Um, I don't know, because I feel like Donald Trump was unlike anything the world has seen as a president, right? I don't know if he's setting precedent. If if we were to invite or, or elect someone else who practices that type of Trumpism that we spoke about in depth on this show and, and sort of concedes to that type of mentality, then yes, we could see this again. But I kind of feel like with the election of Joe Biden, the country has said, um, you know, we want to go back to a certain level of normalcy or whatever that looks like. Um, you know, however problematic it is, but I feel like that's the road that people want to definitely head in. And I know we're getting a lot of comments. People are definitely going off. Um, thank you so much. We see all of them. People are definitely saying that Trump, um, number one, was just just talking to his base. Yeah. You know, his usual to concede, it's he's rallying up his base. Um, you know, we've seen thousands of people come out yesterday, like, you know, Angelo pointed to, and that's all he does. That's the only people he really even focuses on. He was never, he never tried to unify us. He never tried to talk to any other communities except for the people that support him and subscribe to white supremacy. I was gonna, can I say something quickly? Yeah, sure. You know, I always say to folks, as white supremacy was really revving back up over during the course of the Trump administration, I've often said that the Civil War really never ended, right? I think certain people got quiet after the laws, but I think Donald Trump really reinvigorated that. And you haven't seen a president who was able to galvanize the right and galvanize white folks in the way that Donald Trump has. And really who he pulled into the fray who are often kind of neglected or left out of white-leaning politics are white supremacists. They often don't want to be engaged in government, don't want to be engaged in politics, and are doing what they're doing in secrecy and behind closed doors. And what Donald Trump did was pull them into politics. And now I think, and I think many people fear they're here to stay. So we have to have a plan to confront white supremacists, even if it doesn't necessarily I think hinder or slow down the political process. I think it's something that black folks are dealing with day to day and the administration at least needs to do something about it. So black folks have more kind of legs to stand on as we deal with it. Angelo, thank you so much. You make perfect points. And this segues us into our next story, which actually has to do with, you know, the refusal to concede, which is the million MAGA march in quotes. Um, Angela is completely correct. There is a whole drove of white supremacists and really toxic far-right people that we still have to contend with. And there are a lot of people who are not necessarily happy with the state of affairs in the country, with diversification, with uh, you know more liberals in the street. I wanna highlight one problematic comment from our Twitter by Still Unlabeled. Uh, Still Unlabeled says, the MAGA march was peaceful until Antifa and BLM started trouble. Now, let me just give you a breakdown on what happened this Saturday. So while Trump refuses to concede and continues to spew unfounded allegations of a fraudulent election, his followers have been digesting and amplifying that message, which led to a sort of weekend battle in DC, what is being called Million MAGA March. Now, besides the fact that it is just disrespectful to civil rights leader MLK and his crew, who used the Million Man March to garner civil rights for, you know, people in this country, um, it's actually a misnomer. So there were only a few thousand protesters in DC with an equal number of counter protesters showing up to hashtag protect the vote. Now the drama came after a day of largely peaceful demonstrations where even Trump drove by in a motorcade. But Supporters of all stripes, including anti-government groups like the Oath Keepers, far-right groups like the Proud Boys and the Three Percenters, and conspiracy theorists showed up, denouncing the results 
and the people who back them. Now, counter protesters showed up to make sure that it didn't get violent, but largely were antagonized by this group of racists and people who refuse to concede the results, the rightful results that are being called by every media outlet, as well as almost every single state that Trump has encountered so far. Now, 20 have been arrested, several people injured, including police officers, but most importantly, besides the actual violence, this march represented the loss of the barrier between far-right extremist groups and the supposedly rational right. That is, people that are uncomfortable with the state of politics in the world are now unifying. So I'm going to bring it back to you, Angelo. Does it actually scare you that not only do far-right terrorists and extremists have a platform, but that quote-unquote reputable Republicans are now organizing with them? Well, it doesn't scare me at all. I mean, I think one thing that it does is it makes the rest of America unable to deny the reality of white supremacy. I think that's the challenge that we've dealt with for a long time. It's just like when you watch a video of someone black being murdered by police for a long time, without those videos, there were a lot of folks and a lot of demographics who could say, I don't know if this is true. I don't know if this happened that way. I think that we're dealing with the same phenomenon with respect to white supremacy. For a long time, people didn't see it. For a long time, it wasn't in folks' face. For a long time, it wasn't aligned with people's political power. And today we're seeing all of those things come together and we're seeing them take the streets. We're seeing them act in a violent way. I'm not fearful, but I do think that there are gonna be some consequences for it. I think people have died, people have been murdered, people were injured yesterday, and I think that will continue to happen. And what we need to do, I think black folks and this country as a whole, is figure out what is a legitimate, what is a real strategy to confront it and address it. I mean, what we're talking about when we say white supremacy, when we're talking about the far right, is you're talking about terrorism. And you're talking about a long history of American terrorism that has gone unaddressed. Someone made a comment that, you know, the protest was not violent until, you know, some other folks showed up. The reality is violence isn't just physical. There's there's hate speech, right? And this group kind of embodies that kind of hate speech and embodies a kind of extremism that's violence and that is directly aligned to the history of American terrorism. And we're seeing the 21st century, the 2020, the 2021 version of it. So we had better be diligent. I don't think we should be fearful, but we better be diligent about addressing it. I think the Biden administration has a particular responsibility for addressing it. And ideally, I think when we come together to figure out this problem, hopefully we could address it once and for all. Tammy, you may be on mute. Oh, my bad. <laughs> Thank you, Angelo. And I hope so too. Um, I appreciate your optimism, especially as things grow most dire. The important thing to remember is that, sorry, Biden won. And so we're just gonna have to see what happens in the transition, whether it's peaceful or not, we will have to move on from 45. Um, that being said, lastly, we just wanna share some COVID-19 updates with you guys as things go from bad to worse to worser. So the second wave that experts have been predicting since our first wave is here and not letting up. At least 45 states are reporting surging numbers, including New York State. Daily numbers of cases are breaking records. Health experts are warning that half a million people may die by March, and states are urgently increasing lockdown measures as well as business closures. Now, Although we received positive news about a vaccination with 90% effectiveness, Pfizer says it won't be available until at the end of December at the absolute earliest. And doses available will not be sufficient for crowd or herd immunity until mid-year 2021. And as COVID news gets worse with no end in sight, people are increasingly wary with huge broken up large parties, holiday travel plans, and novel gatherings outside of the home. Selena, do you have any thoughts on the balance between living your life and sort of the need to avoid unnecessary interactions and trips? Because I know that for mental health, you can't just lock yourself in, but we're also not seeing an end to the pandemic. Yeah, and honestly, I think a lot of that falls on the responsibility of leadership, right? We've had an extremely irresponsible president who uh, downplayed the virus, admitted it to, admitted it to, and then also mass shamed people. 
We need a universal mask mandate. That's what, first of all, that's what the experts say would help to sort of control this virus. Another thing is we've talked about how it disproportionately affects and hurts black and brown communities. So it's, we're the ones who are being infected and dying at the alarming rates. Um, so yeah, obviously it does fall on people individually to be responsible, especially holiday season is coming up, um, you know, here in New York City and a lot of other large cities, um, government is encouraging folks to either do virtual type of meetings, maybe if you can do it outside or basically just keep your distance. Because again, this is a very real virus. It is affecting and hurting us. Um, and it's going to take a, a long time and more responsibility for um, us to see any type of results that would be beneficial. Stanley, do you think politicians are doing the right thing by sort of biding time to prevent an economic collapse? Or do you think that it's kind of at the point now where we kind of have to take that L again and just, you know, not participate in local businesses, kind of not be out in our communities? How do you feel we should move forward? I mean, it's been that time. Like, are people are people high? Like. <laughs> like we've been here like a, a hundred thousand people got contracted covid yesterday like this is this is the time and also biden just to bring it back to biden his covid czar for his transition team said with four to six weeks of quarantining we could we could put an end to all of this and apparently they're saying that if we did that and get a stimulus package we gave people two thousand dollars a month and help reboost the unemployment, we could do that successfully. And if that's what the Biden administration wants to actually do, I'm sorry, this joke is problematic, but lock us up. Fuck it. <laughs> Liver Lad says- oh, Yes, go ahead, Tammy. Liver Lad is saying all the anti-vaxxers, Trump supporters, and other cynics will never take the vaccine. Interesting take. Angelo, do you think that even with that you know, niche group of people that we could still get herd immunity? Or does that mean that we kind of have to like start from scratch and start educating and mandating that people take the vaccine? I mean, I think what we're dealing with, you know, we're talking about COVID-19. It's kind of what we're dealing with politically. It's what we're dealing with in so many systems throughout America is we're, we're confronting systems that have failed and we're confronting people's fears of systems failing. I know a lot of folks who are like, I'm not getting a vaccine. I wouldn't do it. I never get the flu shot. And I think some of it has to do with the ways in which black folks history with the health field is right in the health system and the ways in which oftentimes we've actually been experimented on. So black folks are distrustful that we're, they're going to put a vaccine on the market that doesn't target us and doesn't make things worse. And I think we have to do a lot of education. Um, and more importantly, we have to get folks not only to be aware of what's going on, but but to commit to do the right thing. I don't believe anyone has really handled the COVID-19 kind of pandemic, especially in the United States, in the appropriate manner. I'll be shocked, honestly, if the Biden administration does, but I think they need to jump on it now. And I think they need to really be specific about pinpointing states and cities where folks are not really doing what they're supposed to do. But I do think a four-week shutdown and quarantine would help. I'm just fearful that folks will, will do it. We've been traveling across the country in the midst of the COVID pandemic. And what you see happening in different states and different cities are radically different. Like in the early on stage of the pandemic, we went to Atlanta. And I remember I walked into a few places with a mask on and people looked at me like I was crazy. So I know that states and cities are looking at this pandemic differently. So we need to develop more of a consensus around how we're going to implement the change. And I don't think we're there yet. You know, that's the good word, because if politicians are not cohesive in their response and we have no idea what you know a vaccine is going to look like in terms of effectivity or how many people will take it, the best thing we have at this moment is personal protection and education of our communities. We need to remember to be washing our hands like crazy still when you enter a place, when you're about to leave a place, when you're using something other people have touched, 20 seconds at least with soap. We need to be wearing our masks and keeping them on when we're out in public, even if it's people that you just saw last week. And even if it's people that you're used to, you just have to keep the mask on. And we have to 
just remember that it sucks, but we need to limit interactions to safe and healthy ones. If you're gonna be out there, make sure it's open air, make sure it's with people that are in your home or your, your intimate bubble and not be going to crazy large gatherings at sweaty clubs and bars. Now, I'm so sorry, y'all. We gotta wrap the news roundup so we can get to our amazing discussion, but thanks to all of you who stayed, listened and gave input especially. Join us next week again for another news roundup and to contribute any stories that are on your mind, follow and DM us at Be Heard Talk. All right, folks, I'm picking it up from here. Now, before we go on to the main segment, I wanna do a quick little thing. If you are watching the show and you're really enjoying the conversation, you think this is productive, please take a screenshot and post it on social media and just tell us what you're enjoying about the conversation. Tag Be Heard Talk. Um, whether it's on Instagram or on Twitter or on Facebook, and we'll make sure that we retweet or repost. We just want to see what you guys like about the show. So once again, if you're enjoying this conversation, take a screenshot of the conversation you're listening to, whether it's on Facebook Live, Twitter, IG Live, or in a podcast, post it on socials, and tag Be Heard Talk, and we'll make sure that we, we retweet it. So now, folks, here we are. Joe Biden has officially won an election. It's been about a little bit over a week, even though we're still hearing about states that he won as late as yesterday. And even though Donald Trump is refusing to concede, math, logic, and thank goodness, it seems like the ancestors are with us when they say that Trump will not be the president of the United States on January 20th, 2021. That is great news. But while we're all taking a sigh of relief that Trump is more than likely not going to be the president, there's been all this new sassy talk coming from folks, mostly on Twitter, on mainstream media, and in, a, and in the world of think pieces, saying what Joe Biden has to do as a president. So now, there's a big coalition of, we call them centrist Democrats, and if you don't know what a centrist is, a centrist is someone who stands for nothing in particular, so they stand in the middle and they try to make it seem like a good thing. That's their value add. They're saying that this election should show us that people are not ready to be progressives and you need to move away from the AOCs of the world and just do nothing that helps anybody but smile at white people and things will be fine. Meanwhile, the crazy hippies like Tammy, and I like to believe myself, but no one believes me anymore, are saying that screw that. We don't need to play nice with these Trump supporters. We need to go for whatever we want and go hard right now. Trump supporters, when they're not busy having sex with their siblings or, or having hate marches in Washington, D.C., are saying, you better do what we say because we are white. Mm, excuse me. I mean, we are American and our words are the most important. And here we are, this panel of the four of us and all of you who are watching on all the streaming sites and the podcast platforms trying to figure out what we want to see happen in this next administration. So we thought to ourselves, the best way to figure that out is to just have us have a conversation here today. And I'm really excited to have this conversation about what happens next in the Biden administration and whether we can push him left because it's going to be a very, very, very good one. And to start things off, I just want to ask this question to the panel, but start with Tammy, who has been consistent from the beginning, who didn't even want to vote for Biden, but did so because she understood how large the stakes were. And Biden does not stand for her values. Tammy, you first. Should the Democratic Party continue to reach across the aisle to work with Republicans, or should they be talking to folks like AOC? You know... This is a tough one for me to answer because realistically, like politically to me, I know they have to continue to reach across the aisle. Like I know that the reason Democrats won is by the skin of their teeth, you know, like they actually did pick up some like more centrist Republicans. And so what can I say if that's going to get them the votes, if that's the Democratic or if that's the demographic that is continuing them, I do get how they have to reach across the aisle. However, <laughs> why are they dogging the people that actually gave them the election? You know, it's not working with moderate Republicans that's the problem. It's the continued disrespect of more leftist parties in the US that is the issue for me. Like uh, one comment we have right now from Ida, um, let's put that up there. Let me see, let me see, let me see. She talks about she talks about who came up from with defunding the police, 
losing seats in the house, the word is reform, changing critical thinking, blah, blah, blah. That's a dumb comment. There are thousands and thousands and thousands of people who march to defund the police. In fact, there are thousands of others who didn't join the march because they wanted it abolished. Are those votes nothing? Why are we sacrificing these people in order to capture people who still would have voted for Trump anyway if he didn't, you know, completely ostracize them in the last quarter there? You know, I, maybe I'll jump in really quick. Angelo. When you guys first said, like, do we push Biden left? My first thought was like, we need to push Biden black. Like mm. we need to push democracy black. Like, because first of all, that's who got him into the office. It wasn't necessarily the leftists. It wasn't necessarily any demographic with the exception of black folks who traditionally vote collectively as a block and really decide elections. And that's what happened now. And I think the Biden administration and of course, Kamala, Kamala Harris have to do the right thing by black folks. And what they should be asking before they start to do anything is what precisely do black folks want? What precisely do black folks need? And how do we deliver that before day one, right? Before the inauguration comes, they should be rolling out a plan of this is exactly what will happen for black folks. And I think there's a variety of ways in which they can do it. The one danger is that I believe that while they have tried to make it appear that they care about the needs and desires of black folks, they haven't always delivered. And they actually have a track record of not delivering for black folks. So I think they really need to up the ante and overdo it and show black folks that they're here on behalf of the needs of black folks and then let the chips fall where they're gonna fall. Thank you, Angelo. I wanna um, just bring it back to Tammy to see like, is there a middle ground for you and somebody like Ida? See, here's what pisses me off, right? And I'm so sorry, Angelo, but I'm gonna have to dunk on you for a second. It's not about what black people want, okay? Screw what black people want, because at the end of the day, it's like, we want equality, we wanna be happy, we wanna have the same luxuries that white people have, right. but what do we actually need? What do we need? We don't need more black businessmen. We don't need black people to rise and trample on poor people. And we also don't need to show the country that, you know, black people are being elevated to this level and then screw all poor people, regardless of race. What, do you what mean, we actually as a community need, we need health care. We need insurance companies that aren't motivated by money and gain. We need a police force that is honestly either abolished or brought back to the way beginning so that they have an entirely new mission and objective and new hireables. Like that's what we need. We need to remove capitalism from the equation in order to push it left. Hold on a second. second. I want to bring it back to Angelo. I saw his hand raised. Angelo, you want to respond to that? You know, I think healthcare is tremendously important. Um, and for a long time, I did work around health disparities, particularly for folks returning to communities, formerly incarcerated folks. And one of the things, one of my challenges and one of the fights I would often have with folks who were diehard Bernie fans was that mm. even in an ideal world where black folks have access to health care the same way white folks, guess what happens? Our quality of health care is horrible. That's the reality. That's why you have black women who have health insurance now who go to the to the doctors and the hospitals to have their children to give birth and they die at higher rates than everybody else. That's mm. a fact, that's the reality of what the black experience is like in America where the systems work perfectly for everyone with the exception of us. So that's why my challenge around this administration and my challenge around the traditional things that folks say that will make America better, I was gonna say make America great for a second, but that will make America better are not necessarily the things that make black America better because the system, racism is so, and white supremacy is so ingrained in every system. Look at the healthcare system, look at the education system, which now is being exposed in ways it never has before. And of course, policing, which we've always known. So for me, the reality is you gotta talk to black folks. And of course, it's not simply about what we want, but about what we need, but we can't look at the traditional fixes that address the needs of everyone else to address our needs because it never happens. Anna, I want to bring you back into this conversation. So we're hearing a fiery conversation over here. So one, if you have a response to what Angela was saying, like for me, it sounds like we're saying it's, it's two sides of the same coin. That's one. 
Mm -hmm. um, so I'd like to hear your thoughts on that. And then also just do you think Biden should consider or put Republicans on in his cabinet? Um, yeah, no, I 100% agree with what um, Angelo and uh, Tammy were saying. I definitely see and understand both perspectives. I um, personally think that if we are pushing an agenda, and I understand that we should have like this multicultural agenda that Tammy was talking about that connects all, you know, working class people and, and, and folks. However, I do think Black people in particular need to be centered. Our voices need to be elevated. And like, yeah, like we need to work with a, you know, a large correla correlation of people, but it, it has to be, this country owes us so much. And I feel like in order to really have any type of progress, we have to uplift the most marginalized, the most marginalized communities and those people who are even more in disenfranchised within those communities. So yes, I will say that. And to answer the other question, um, I kind of feel like it was, it was, you know, working class folks, it was black folks, particularly black women that voted in the Biden administration and he owes us one. And like, yes, you know, having Kamala Harris as a vice presidential pick um, is symbolic and representation matters, but we need something even more than that. I feel like by extending this olive branch and working with Republicans, um, it's like almost putting our voices to the back burner because we know that you know republicans have showed us their true colors time and time again they want to cut social security they want to cut medicare for all they want to cut um you know different programs like the food stamp program and again all of those um initiatives disproportionately affect and hurt people of color black people and black women so rather than trying to establish establish this mythical you know coalition he needs to talk to his base he needs to talk to the 90% of black women who voted him in. He needs to talk to more Hispanic voters and Spanish speaking people. That's who I want to see him elevating in his cabinet and him surrounding himself with. Thank you very much, Lena. I want to just highlight a comment that came in from um, a Corliss um, Robeski. Forgive me if I got your last name wrong, but Corliss says, equality, respect for all people, general basic ethics of health, Food, shelter, and finance. Reality versus equality for all. Review, remake, and accountability of outcomes as far as like what they would like to see happen with the Biden administration. You know, we've been in a pretty wild ride in the last three and a half, four years. I don't think Republicans have earned the right to have a seat at any table. Right. I think that they need to sit it out, period. And I, right. I also agree with... with Angelo, that like it needs to be like and Selena, it needs to be black centered. And I also think that if you center it on black folks, then everyone will benefit because the issues that black folks care about and that impact black folks impact everybody. It's just that when white America catches a cold, black folks catch the flu. And you're seeing that times 10 with the COVID numbers. But I want to keep the conversation moving and I want to throw it back to you, Tammy, because ALC has been pretty vocal. She had an interview in the Washington Post in which she said, I have been begging. Democrats said, let me work with them. Let me support them. I will go speak for them because folks want to hear a progressive message and they have not been listening. Do you think the Biden administration should be having conversations with folks like AOC and Cori Bush and Elam Omar? Or do you think that it makes more sense for them to stay away from her and just keep talking to these same white folks? Let me just say that I'm gonna double down on your point. What works for black people, what works for the poorest people, what works for the most disenfranchised people of this country is going to work for all. And so absolutely they need to be having conversations with her. The first fact of the matter is people like her, people like Bernie, people like Cori Bush, they are the future whether they like it or not. Young voters respond overwhelmingly to these people. And while they're young voters now, they are going to be the majority demographic in about a decade or two. And that is huge for the history of the party. The second thing is that this crosses with Angelo's point of educating our communities. My grandma, who's an immigrant from Trinidad, and my dad, who both of them never went to college, they're not really educated on the ins and outs of politics, but they know the basics of how their life runs and what they want from the government. Both of them overwhelmingly supported Bernie, not because they understand what socialism is and they supported it, but because they are sickly people who need Medicare for all because they could not afford to put me through college and they are watching me 
under make money and pay student debt that will take me likely 30 to 40 years to pay it off. And that is why they supported Bernie Sanders. It's not just that black people need education. It's that the Democrats need to make that education possible and accessible for the people that follow them. Overwhelmingly, their constituency supports Medicare for all. They support some kind of criminal justice reform and they support student loan forgiveness. The problem is that Democrats are so uncomfortable with changing the status quo and black people are so weary of supporting any other party because the Democrats are the only party that have been loyal to them. So yes, the Democrats do need to include these more radical figures into the conversation because these radical figures are the only ones who actually care about our communities. Thank you so much for that truth, Tammy. So um, I wanted to get to a, a, a comment, but we're running short on time. So what I'm gonna do instead of summarize it. So Beverly, um, who was in the comments said that, you know, Republicans for four years have refused to come to the table, have refused to negotiate, have refused to talk, have refused to be collaborative at all. Thank you for bringing that up, um, and I'll read it now. For four years, Republicans never reached across the aisle. Why should we? It's weak to be a sucker. That's what Democrats have been. They guilty. They guilt us into turning the other cheek, but Republicans never do, and there's never any consequences. Stop appeasing people who are rewarded for doing wrong things. We need to take this opportunity to do what we can do without the Republicans. Joe Biden needs to deliver for Black people, minorities, women, LGBTQ, etc. No ifs, ands, or buts. Period. You know. Miss Beverly, I really appreciate you for that comment. It's 100% the truth. So we are wrapping up now. I want to give folks to kind of give a chance to like talk about what they think their big three pieces of like policy and priorities should be for the Biden administration and what we need to do to make sure that happens. I want to start with Angelo, who, as you folks know, is working with Until Freedom. He's a co-founder. So Angelo, what are two or three things that Biden really needs to be focusing on for mm -hmm. you and the Black community to feel supportive and good with him being president? I think first I want to say I'm with Beverly. Deliver for who delivers delivered for you. Like black folks and others delivered for Biden. That's who he needs to be focusing on. Um, for me, Biden and Harris both played instrumental roles in kind of pushing the narrative and actually implementing policies and practices around the war on drugs. And I think what they need to do and what they need to announce is that they're going to do everything in their power to roll back and undo and end the war on drugs that has been ravaging black and brown communities for the past 30 to 40 years. I think that's very important. And they need to begin to implement and pass policies that show that. I think Biden can do it through executive orders and he can do it through who he appoints with the DOJ. I think the other thing they have to do and pay attention to is look at police murders and white supremacists and vigilante killings and look at the ways in which the Department of the Treasury can begin to correct that harm, not only financially, but in other ways. And then I think they need to use that to show the parallel to lynchings and the history of white supremacy in America. So connecting police murders to the kind of repair that black people need because of slavery in this country and show the relationship. I think they have the perfect opportunity to do that. I think the other thing they have to do is address COVID. There are thousands, there are actually over a million folks incarcerated in the United States of America. And I think many of those folks need to be released for health reasons and it can be done during COVID. And I think COVID also brings to question what do they do around addressing the financial challenges of America? And I think, you know, alleviating student debt and giving folks a stimulus will do that. But I think his executive orders and his appointments, it's how he leads. And what happens in Georgia will really determine what we can do legislatively. So they have a tremendous amount they can do before we even get to the legislative session. Thank you so much, Angela. I want to throw it to Tammy. What are your big three priorities for Biden? My first is healthcare because we are in a pandemic. I'm not satisfied with a sort of public option in keeping the private business because like Angelo pointed out, it will still continue to perpetuate discrepancies of care. It just means that rich people who can afford private insurance will be able to get rapid tests and then go on with their lives and not infect their communities while poor people wait six hours in line to get a COVID test, infect everyone in the line and then spend two to three days coughing it up in their classes, their neighborhoods, in their apartments, spreading COVID. The second is education. 
We need to equalize federally the education system. Betsy DeVos is out, I'm sure of it, but we need to start paying attention to what they're teaching our kids in school because clearly there is a difference in what's coming out of Texas and Alabama versus what's coming out of Massachusetts and New York and California, and that's a huge issue. Along with education, let's talk about student debt cancellation because people are not going to opt for higher ed options if they can't afford it or it will ruin their lives and their lineage. And that's just a fact. And the third and final thing is criminal justice reform. We have millions of people in the streets begging not to be lynched in the year 2020. Can we get a federal law that blocks lynching at the very least? Can we get a comprehensive criminal justice reform system that works across all states so that there isn't a George Zimmerman that gets off or a Dylan Roof that can just commit a terrorist attack and be served Burger King in his cell? And can we get rid of mass incarceration? Because it does keep the brothers down and it does keep our communities in shambles, especially when Chad can get away with holding a couple G's of cocaine, but Daquan is gonna go to jail for a gram of weed. Can we fix that? Yeah, that's that's a that's a, that's a hefty list, but it's, things need to happen. I wanna throw to Selena just real quick, very quick to say what you need and like, let's let's keep the show going. Absolutely. No, I mean, I 100% agree. I think that, you know, the issues that are on the table have been laid out, well expressed, and it's just time to push forward. But I'm most interested in is making sure that we hold this administration accountable and making sure that we stay organized and mobilized and effective for the next four years. We talked about on the show how, um, you know, some folks have said under Barack Obama's administration, we may not have had a plan. We may not have been on one cohesive agenda, uh, but now we do. Now we know what we want. You know, we, we know how to uh, push legislation and policy. Uh, I think we're pretty much aligned, like Tim is saying, when it comes to education and healthcare. Um, now it's just time to hold, um, you know, the parties that be accountable so that we can truly get this passed. Yeah, listen, folks, I don't need to tell you anything. The three great panelists have already told you at this point, organize, mobilize, educate, flip it. Let's get us what we need. With that being said, I want to pass on to Selena, who will be interviewing a very special guest on this episode of Be Her Talk. Selena? Yes, thank you so much. I want to thank everyone who is chiming in into this very important conversation. We are going to switch gears a little bit because we do have a very special guest on the line. His name is Mr. Carl Clay. Let me just give him the respect that he deserves by giving a formal introduction. So Carl Clay has been a significant force in the theater and independent film movement for decades. And his creative use of theater, film, video, and music has resulted in numerous awards. As the founder and executive producer of Black Spectrum Theater, he has produced over 300 theatrical productions that have been performed in New York City and throughout the country. As the founder and CEO of Black Spectrum Theater, Mr. Clay has also trained over 1,000 actors. His feature-length film is now available on video. He's also produced over 30 jazz concerts with um, such at, um, artists as Carl Thomas, and even Roberta Flack. So I'm gonna actually add him on now. Mr. Clay, how's it going? Mr. Clay, are you there? We see you, but we don't hear you. Can Mr. is, can everybody else hear and see me? Yeah, we can. Mr. Clay, he's yeah. already finishing the script. <laughs> Mr. Clay's on pause right now. I think Mr. Clay may have been frozen. Um, so let me just check back in. We're just going to have to keep this. Oh, there he goes. Mr. Clay, can you hear and see us now? Mr. Clay, you're moving, but we still don't hear you. Well, Selena you worked for technical difficulties. Let me just say yeah. that like, that sounds like a pretty robust resume. I'm really excited to hear about the work that he's doing next and some of the actors that like he's worked with. Um, listen. Like you want to see black folks in different spaces helping other people move up in the work and, and do a good thing. So I'm really excited about this opportunity. Um, someone like Tammy, who is an activist, I think would make a great actress. Um, so I think about like folks like her who could probably really benefit from folks like Mr. Clay. I'm just being selfish though because we see Tammy out here putting up Kobe numbers in the show today. <laughs> 
Also, like, we can't slander the arts. Y'all know that I'm an artiste. I'm a patron of fine arts. And so acting and visual arts, these have all been really important to me in general, but especially during the pandemic. Like, we need these people to, like, keep our communities alive, like, keep our good word alive. Like, shoot, a lot of activism is done on the art scene now. So I appreciate, like, Black art-centered spaces and, like, the ability to use our voices, not just for, like, talent and professionalism, but also for spreading the good word. Yeah, and you, can, you just can't separate the art from our communities and our culture. That's such a big part of our, our, of our lives. So I'm really glad to have that. Oh, hey, Mr. Clay, happy to have you here now. Mr. Clay, are you here with us now? Okay, so we are still having some technical difficulties. We'll just have to keep the party going until we can get him. I think he is still having some technical difficulties. Is, yeah, I'm sorry. Strong Wi-Fi when you're out here creating art with a pen and a pad, okay? <laughs> <laughs> so that's where we are. Let's check out some of these comments we got over here. Yeah, um, for sure. Ida is still going off, by the way. Ida R. Maury JD. You guys are calling Joe Biden racist, and your vote just unseated the most racist man and the range leader the world has ever seen. We allowed us to go on for four years because he is a better critical thinker than you are. It took Stacey Abrams a true critical thinker to get us out of this mess. What do people mean when they say critical thinker? Because I don't think they mean what they're throwing that word around. Like, do you want, okay, do you understand the definition of critical thinking? It's reading between the lines and understanding nuance. And subtext. Like, yes. So you're telling me a man who is completely unhinged is a better better critical thinker than me? Oh no, absolutely not. And, and you know what? No, I will not be humble and leave my ego at the door because I'm a black woman organizer. And that's, you know, black women organizers need to be sure to, to step their chips up and to know what they're doing. People like Stacey Abrams get squashed all the time and they're out here saving elections. So no, no time for humble. You know what's so funny? People got all this love for Stacey Abrams now, but when she was running for governor and the and the, at the time secretary of state and now the governor of of of, of, of Georgia, um, Brian Kemp, I think it was, when like she was being cheated by him, nobody had anything to say. Nobody had this energy. But now they're all Team Stacey Abrams. Keep that energy two years from now when she hopefully runs against him for re-election. I want to read a comment from Black Onyx Guide. He says, also to add to that well-stated comment, I don't think he's talking about us. We also need to hold administrations accountable for making sure employers pay Black people what we are worth. I agree with you, Black Onyx Guide. We absolutely have to do that. Liverlad said, Trump is not nuanced. He's a more racist sledgehammer. I would absolutely agree with that, liberal lad. I think Donald Trump is nothing but the id on steroids. That's all it is. Id and white supremacy. Patrick Sa mm -hmm. says, good. It is best for employers to hire qualified people of different skin colors. And now Drama, Drama Mama Free says, Stacey is a cheater. Well, Drama Mama Free, she looks like she has a MAGA hat sitting somewhere on her kitchen counter. Um, instead of putting it in the closet where it belongs. So I'm not surprised that she says Stacey is a cheater. Um, thank you, cheater. How do you cheat in canvassing? <laughs> you know what blows me away? The trolls keep it coming. I'm sorry, go ahead, Stanley. You know what blows me away? People say what? that, Joe, like, you think we cheated to win this election and we picked Joe Biden? Have you <laughs> not Word. Like, me and Tammy couldn't even get on the same page about who should win the primary. I wanted Elizabeth Warren. She wanted Bernie Sanders. So you think the crazy hippies like us, or liberals, depending on like how, where you see our politics, talk all this junk about Elizabeth Warren and Julian Castro and Bernie Sanders and fever dreamed about them for months, only to work together to get Joe Biden? Not to mention that I was a poll worker and like, to actually fake a vote is damn near impossible. Like, I would love to cheat for Bernie Sanders. I would literally love to. This country was built on cheating. I would have loved to say to my kids that I cheated and I helped elect the first president to endorse socialism. However, I can't. It's really, really hard. You really can't cheat your way into an election, which is why Trump looks even more stupid. You really can't cheat. It's like impossible to do. Yeah, but you know, they don't think about logic. So Liverland said Trump is totally disinhibited racist who has emboldened half the country to indulge in the same. Yeah, so people keep saying, what are we gonna do about these 72 million people that voted for Trump? 
get him therapy? I don't know. The fact of the matter is these 72 million people have shown that white supremacy is not a deal breaker. And you know who the majority of those 72 million people are that voted for Trump? White people. And we should have already known that white supremacy was not a deal breaker for, for white people. But now we know for sure. So now we need to organize because as much as I have an issue with white supremacy, we cannot liberate anyone until white people see how white supremacy hurts them too. We have to work together. And um, Sorry, go ahead, Selena. No, I'm sorry, Stanley. Finish your statement. All white people are racist. Let's be clear about that. But it is a spectrum. So you have the highest point of the spectrum, which is like the Donald Trumps, the Proud Boys, those folks. Then you have the lowest end of the spectrum. We're like, they're not outwardly racist. They're not trying to push institutions, but they can do things that fit into the white supremacist narrative. But you can't address it if you don't understand it and you don't know it. Being racist doesn't necessarily make you a bad person. That's why it's so interesting about racism. It's about power. So how do we educate white people so they understand that white supremacy is destroying them? And because it's destroying white people, what do you think it's doing to our black asses? Mm. No, Stanley, great point. I did just want to chime in um, with a comment from Jonathan Exum via LinkedIn. He says, we need to hold all accountable uh, to the earlier point. If the election was rigged, we would have taken everything. Tell these Trump supporters to take a backseat. I agree. My problem with the Trump supporters being sore losers now is like you've had your time of fascism and it like literally didn't work. Your president caused. Oh, sorry. Oh, no. So we have another comment from Jenna who responded directly to Stanley's statement about all white people being racist. Jenna via LinkedIn says, I never met a racist white person myself, at least not in the last 40 years. Stanley, did you want to respond to Jenna? Yeah. No, I'm half Caucasian. I'll respond to Jenna. Um, I'm half white, ma'am, and I have racist family members. Jenna doesn't so, have a profile picture in her LinkedIn, so she's either a Russian bot or a white person trying to gaslight. Either way, Jenna, you've met plenty of white racist people, or you don't know any white people at all. I would strongly assume that you are probably a white woman who is typing angrily at your computer because it doesn't feel good to be called a racist. But all white people are racist, just like all men are sexist, because it is a system that we have all grown up and we have all been taught it. So be mad all you want, but live with it. And Jenna, that's her name. If you don't like that, I don't know. Go put some raisins in your your potato salad and just talk about all lives matter with your racist friends and family. I don't know. Tammy? If the allegations bother you so much, you should ask why people think that if it doesn't affect you. Do your research. Don't just say this doesn't exist because I don't see it. A lot of people in the world never get to experience something. A lot of Americans never travel to another country in their whole life. Does that mean that this is the only country in the world? No. Like there is proven evidence of racism in this country. We have people in the streets chanting to lynch people and putting up racist epithets against, you know, POC and and threatening to harm POC communities. Jenna just said my wife is black. Congratulations, Jenna. One of my best friends is white. That doesn't, so what? My girlfriend's a woman. That doesn't mean that I can't be sexist. Jenna, go to therapy. We're not your therapist. If you want more emotional labor from us, Cash app us. What's your cash app, Tammy? At <laughs> At Stanley Fritz. If you want to have this conversation with me, Jenna, or any white person, you need to pay me. My labor is not free. Who's next oh. up in the comments? I see Summer Giles. I know the election is a current topic, but it also exactly the right time to look further forward. What are we doing over the next four years to ensure a candidate we can more fully support is on the ticket? Summer, oh, that's a great right. question. I want to throw it to Tammy first to respond to that. Actually, Tammy, sorry, hold on one second. I want to give Selena a chance because she has. Oh no, Tammy can Tammy can go ahead first. All right, cool. You know, I'm going to say organizing. Like, I really think so. Organizing has always been something in the states that like is a niche job. Like people have always felt that, oh, to be an organizer, I have to have a political degree. I have to understand policies and politics and lobbying. You don't have to. Organizing is anything from calling your neighbors in a phone tree to tell them about something that's worrying you and to reach out to candidates who might have expressed the same thing to handing out pamphlets for a local org that you really respect the work that they're doing. That's what organizing is. And that's what I think that everybody should be getting into. 
Americans have this sticky habit of thinking that politics only exists in election season, but the actual work of politics, politics exists all year round. Like when your state Senate convenes, when your state assembly convenes, see how they're voting on healthcare or the issues that affect you. And if you don't like how they're voting, then get in the streets and change that. That's all there is to it. Selena, I want to throw it to you for your final thoughts. Yeah, no, 100%. I feel like, you know, from this election, what we've learned is 70 million people still voted for racism and white supremacy. And that says a lot about this country here. But I do think that, you know, as much as white supremacy has prevailed in our country, um, it was a, a multicultural coalition led by black people, specifically black women, that were able to demand change. And I think that from here, we're only going to continue to look forward, like the last person said. And it's about organizing, mobilizing, and making sure that we stay on their necks. That's 100% right. And folks, we are closing out. But before we do, if you have enjoyed this conversation, if you like this show, please take a screenshot of whatever you're using to listen to this show and post it on social media, letting us know what you're enjoying about it. Make sure you also tag us at Be Her Talk and we'll make sure we repost on whatever platform you do this on. So folks, it is about time to end the conversation. I wanna thank everybody for being on here. I wanna thank Angelo Pinto for joining us. I also wanna thank Carl Clay for joining us. I know we weren't able to get him because the reception was poor, but thank you for all the work you have done to support actors, to build creativity, and to show that the art belongs in the work. The art belongs in the work. So shout out to Carl Clay and his organization. With that being said, folks, we are out of here. If you enjoyed this show, take a screenshot of what you're listening to, share it on socials, and tag us. Tag us at Be Her Talk. And you can listen to us on podcasts wherever you get your podcasts from. That's all we've got, folks. Peace. Oh, thank you so much. We'll see you again next week.